0: turn together now in the Word of God to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 speaks of the sacrament of circumcision as it was administered to Abraham in light of the promise and in connection with faith. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness, then, upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world Was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith, that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that for our justification. We read that far in God's Holy Word. And we consider this morning the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all His benefits by faith only. Whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel, and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof He may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that He grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross." Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. For the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross." How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Two, namely Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a real danger in the church, including Trinity Protestant Reformed Church, that we minimize the holy sacraments and minimize the important place they have in our salvation and the enjoyment of that salvation. A real danger that our attitude is, yes, they are important. They ought to be administered and I ought to participate, but I have no real need for them exactly because I already have been regenerated, I already have faith, and I already am a saved child of God. Some might even suppose that that attitude is reformed. They are aware, of course, that there are churches and individuals who teach and believe that the sacraments have some sort of inherent, even magical power to save, to impart salvation even to every person that participates in them. And knowing that's wrong, suppose that any insistence that The sacraments are necessary even for a saved child of God is to teach basically the same thing as those in error. If that beloved is our attitude, then the Reformed creeds make clear that we are greatly mistaken. The Belgic Confession makes the administration of the sacraments properly and truly one of only three great marks or indicators of a true church. Belgic Confession Article 33 says they are not vain or insignificant. Article 34 of the Belgic Confession says that by baptism we are received into the church of God. And by baptism we are separated from all other people in strange religion. And every man who is earnestly studious of obtaining eternal life ought to be but once baptized. And says about baptism that it avails us our whole life. Confession, Article 35, goes on to say that in the Lord's Supper, we receive the proper and natural body of Jesus Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism also teaches the significance and importance of the sacraments by the volume and rich treatment of that subject. Fully six Lord's Days, out of 52, are dedicated strictly to the subject of the sacraments. That wouldn't happen if they were unimportant. And Lord's, 20, Lord's Day 25, that we consider this morning, calls them holy, visible signs and seals appointed by God, and calls them means by which the Holy Spirit confirms our faith. Consider with me this morning the faith-confirming sacraments. We notice in the first place their divine appointment. Question and answer 66 calls the sacraments holy visible signs and seals appointed by God. And that receives some emphasis in this Lord's Day. Question and answer 67 goes on to say they are ordained and appointed by God. Question and answer 68 says they are instituted by Christ in the New Covenant or Testament. That all by itself indicates their importance, even necessity for us. When the catechism says that they are ordained and appointed by God, it means they are included in all the other significant things that God ordains and appoints and carries out because He ordains and appoints them. Think of election. Think of God's creation of the world. Think of our salvation in Jesus Christ. All likewise ordained and appointed. When it says they are appointed, What that means is that God Himself officially assigns them to be instituted and administered by someone and no one else. They are like when God appointed David to be king, and when God appointed Christ to be the mediator of the covenant. That's how we are to view the sacraments. Like election, divinely ordained and appointed. Like our salvation, divinely ordained and appointed. And like Christ, divinely appointed as mediator of the covenant, so are the sacraments. The Catechism also lays before us that God ordained and appointed Christ to institute and administer them, and no one else, and no one else, that means three things. First, that God officially designated, directed, and assigned Christ to come into this world and reveal that as His ordaining and as His appointment. That was one of the works that was given to Jesus to declare the will of God regarding the sacraments. That means in the second place that Christ was ordained and appointed by God to administer them and institute them that Christ is both the subject and the object Of the sacraments. That's evident from question and answer 67, which says that the object of the sacraments is Christ, inasmuch as the sacraments direct our faith to Christ. And then notice also that the Catechism goes on to say that the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, is the one who assures us and confirms our faith through them, so that Christ is also the subject of them. He is the one who administers them. He is the one who confirms faith. He is the one who makes them effective. And in third place, place that God ordained and appointed Christ to institute and nurse them means that Christ actually does that. Now, Christ will indeed appoint official administers of the sacraments. Christ, being in heaven, appointed an institution and men on earth to administer them. But even as Christ and no one else is given to institute and administer them, so that means those that Christ designates are the only ones that may administer them. These are, of course, the church. The sacraments are only administered through the church and by the church, and no one else and nowhere else are they administered. It also means that they are then official ceremonies that should be found and must be found in the church. And that is why they are one of the marks of a true church. Where they are missing or where they are improperly administered, there is no church. Christ also designates ministers and no one else to administer those sacraments. There is a reason why even though there is supervision by the elders, and the elders in the Lord's Supper pass out the plates and the cups of the Lord's Supper, that the minister is the one who provides that to them. And there is a reason why when ministers are ordained, they are ordained officially into the office of the Word and sacraments. They are called ministers, that is, administers, administrators of the word, preaching, and the sacraments. There are, according to the Catechism, two and only two. And that is, again, because those are the only two that Christ knew to be the will of God to reveal and to therefore institute. Christ instituted the sprinkling of water, the ceremony of the sprinkling of water by ministers of the Holy Gospel as the first sacrament. He did that clearly in Matthew 28, verse 19, when He gave the Great Commission to His disciples, that is, to His church, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations. That's preach preach, and then adds, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And our Lord instituted the administration of bread broken and wine poured out and the eating and the drinking of the same as the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in the upper room and confirmed through the Apostle Paul that that was intended to be a sacrament in 1 Corinthians 11. Now Christ inseparably joins the sacraments, the administration of the sacrament, to the preaching of the Word, further proof that Christ is both object and subject since He is the Word of God. He is the one who is the subject and the object of the preaching of the Word. When the Word is preached, it is Christ who speaks. It is Christ who sends forth His own Word, and therefore He is the content or the object also of the preaching. The same thing, therefore, is true of the sacrament. So there's an inseparable relationship between the two, a necessary and inseparable relationship. The sacraments are, in the first place, dependent upon the word that is preached. That's pointed out in the Heidelberg Catechism when it says that by the sacraments Christ more fully declares and seals to us the promise of the gospel, that is, what is preached. If this is the function, of the sacraments, then that means that there is no meaning, there is no power, there is no existence of the sacraments apart from the Word of God. It's one reason that the Church has always administered the sacraments in the official worship service and nowhere else, and in connection with the preaching of the Word, including the reading of a form that explains the sacrament before its administration. These things were not done randomly or without reason in the church. The order in this relationship is therefore also important. The Word first and then the sacrament that teaches the relative importance of each. The Word is primary and the sacraments are secondary And they're secondary because they depend upon the Word for their meaning and their efficacy. They serve the preaching of the Word in a subordinate capacity and function. That's why the Heidelberg Catechism says they more fully declare and seal the promise. That's also indicated when the Heidelberg Catechism says God first works faith by the preaching of the Gospel. Faith is worked by preaching, not by the sacrament. And the sacraments only confirm that which was already given in the preaching of the Gospel. But that does not imply the sacraments are of little importance so that we may minimize them and even set them in a place completely apart from the preaching. It's true. Sacraments cannot give any blessing that one did not already receive in the preaching. One may not say with regard to the sacraments, well, there's something missing in the preaching. There's some blessing I do not receive in the preaching and therefore I'm going to make up for that lack in the sacraments. I'm going to find something there that cannot be found in the preaching. That's not the way it goes. The sacraments are dependent upon the preaching and confirm what's in the preaching. But the importance is that they more fully declare and seal to us a blessing we've already received in the preaching. Their importance, therefore, is that. Do you desire to have what you hear in the preaching and what you receive in the preaching from the Word of God more fully declared and sealed to your heart by faith, then the sacraments are necessary. The catechism teaches that they are signs and seals of the promise of the gospel. That phrase ought to be familiar to you and to anyone who knows the Reformed creeds, because that's the favorite description of them. Or the sacraments. Lord's Day 25 says they are holy, visible signs and seals. Belgic Confession, Article 33, says they are visible signs and seals of an inward, invisible thing. One reason we read Romans 4 is because that phrase, that important phrase that is repeatedly used to describe the sacraments comes from Romans 4, verse 11, where the Old Testament sacrament of circumcision is referred to as both a sign and a seal. and That applies, therefore, to baptism because circumcision was replaced by baptism in the New Covenant as the catechism teaches and therefore also applies to the Lord's Supper as a sister sacrament in the church. A sign is a visible representation of something invisible. The sacraments are signs, visible signs, of the invisible grace and power of God's grace in our salvation. That's what they are. That was evident even in Romans 4, where it's called a sign, circumcision is, the idea being that the cutting of Abraham's foreskin was a sign to him, a visible sign to him of the righteousness which is of faith, that his sins were forgiven by the Messiah and he received that through faith. They are also seals. Seals are visible things that guarantee a word or a command. They are promises. They are guarantees that take away all doubt about the authenticity of something spoken or declared. We have the example in Scripture found in Esther chapter 8 where Ahasuerus assured the Jews, he made an edict, that they could take out vengeance upon those who would take their lives or property. And then after making that edict, it was written down and there was a seal placed upon it wherein he stamped his own ring. And that seal was a guarantee that what is written there on the piece of paper was an actual edict and command that came from Ahasuerus and that this edict would certainly be carried out as it applied. The sacraments are even more certain seals of the promise of God. How much more sure is God's Word and therefore God's seals, His ordained, His appointed sacraments. Even as there was an ordained and appointed seal or a signet that sealed an earthly king's documents, so also God gave sacraments for that very same purpose. So that there ought to be no doubt about the Word of God. According to Romans 4, they represent they represent visibly and they seal visibly the righteousness of faith. The Heidelberg Catechism says it's the promise of the Gospel. Those are the same thing. Because the Heidelberg Catechism goes on to speak about that same promise as that which God grants freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ. It's the very same thing that Romans 4.11 means by the righteousness of faith. The idea is that every time the hand of the minister is lifted up and water is administered to the head of an infant child or of an adult or every time the bread is broken as it's lifted up and the cup is lifted up and then distributed and then we lift it up and need a drink. So Christ is lifted up. Christ is lifted up visibly and in being lifted up visibly there is a guarantee and the seal that what Christ has done namely merited righteousness with God by His death and by His resurrection which as Romans 4 says was for our justification so we may be assured of that and that it is for us it is for me and it is for you who lift up and eat and drink the bread and the wine or were baptized. The Lord's Days will explain in more detail how that's done. We're going to consider next the extraordinary power of those sacraments. The sacraments have extraordinary power and that's derived from the very fact that they are signs and seals instituted by Christ. Exactly because they're appointed by God, ordained by God, and then instituted by Christ means that they cannot be empty or vain signs and seals. Just figurative things. They are not signs and seals in the normal way. There's something special about them, which is one reason why they are always called holy. Even as we recognize that the Bible is a book, but we call it the Holy Bible, recognizing that there is no other book like it in all the world. It is the only book that is like it. So also, when we say holy baptism and the Holy Lord's Supper, we're saying these are visible signs and seals like no other. They have... Therefore, extraordinary power. The extraordinary power of the sacraments is to confirm faith, to strengthen and confirm faith that God has already given us in the preaching of the Gospel. There is no such confirming unless, of course, the Gospel is faithfully being proclaimed. There must be, therefore, In the gospel, first of all, a faithful explanation and proclamation of the truth of the dead and risen Savior Jesus Christ as God's only sacrifice for sin, unto salvation for every sinner who believes in Him. That must be proclaimed, that must be shouted from the pulpit. Christ has died. Christ has given His life as a complete satisfaction for the sinner. And the sinner now who believes in Him. All such are forgiven their sins. The sacraments then confirm that. They confirm the truth that is preached, that there is only one ground of our salvation here it's worth noting that the catechism sets forth to us what a condition is a condition may be defined as something upon which something else depends and we deny there are conditions in our salvation because we deny that there is anything other than Jesus Christ upon which our salvation depends The catechism here says that our salvation has one ground and notice it connects it to that word depends. So conditions have to do with what is a ground for something. That upon which something else depends as a ground, as a basis. The catechism says there's only one ground and one basis that is one thing upon which your salvation and mine depends and that is the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ nothing else in fact not even our faith is a ground or that upon which our salvation we may say depends rather faith is the gift of God through which we receive that salvation as a means even as the sacraments are means by which the Holy Spirit confirms our faith and our faith receives that. That doesn't make them conditions. They are not the ground or the basis of that which we receive. That's an important Lord's Day in defining what is a condition. This fact also is why it's so serious when membership in the church is minimized or one's presence in the church is minimized with regard to the sacraments. There are ways this happens. There are people who leave the church. They may tell you all about how important it is that they are members somewhere, and they may tell you all about how they love the truth in the particular church that they just left. But the fact is, they have no intention of joining another church. Perhaps they have qualms about the doctrines that are taught there, and so they remain in their living room, perhaps watching YouTube videos, and imagine to themselves that, Faith is being worked and faith is being confirmed. And that's not true. They may fool themselves in this sense that, well, after all, we're receiving the preaching of the Gospel. We're not physically there. And and after all, sick people and elderly people who who can't be there, they, they are receiving it. So why not me? But they overlook something very important. They cannot participate in the sacraments. So even if they have faith, even if they have faith that God has given them once in the preaching, that faith no longer is being confirmed. It's no longer being strengthened because they are absent from the sacraments. Even as it's important that one has his membership in a church where the gospel is faithfully being proclaimed and included in that a church where Christ is presented as the only ground upon which our salvation depends. Faith isn't a ground. Faith is not a condition. Faith is not that which upon which our salvation depends. We had that battle in 1953. And the PRC concluded that faith is part of the salvation. That faith is included in the promise of the Gospel. That faith is that which Christ Himself merited on the cross by His death, and therefore imparts that to whom He will. And therefore, all the rest of salvation comes also through that faith. But if one plunks himself in a church where that's not being declared, then faith is not being worked and that faith isn't being strengthened either in the sacrament. The sacrament is declaring all kinds of other things and none of them the Word of God. The extraordinary power of the sacraments is to give the very thing of which they are signs and seals. That's what sacraments are. They're visible signs and seals of the promises of God. That invisible grace and power of God and the working of God. Well, what is their power? What is the extraordinary power that they have? And that is to give the very thing they represent. That's the amazing thing here. This is why Christ could say what He does. This is My body. This is My blood. This water of baptism is my blood. You're washing in my blood. What was meant? What did Christ mean? What Christ was meaning, what His meaning was, was this. That just as in the preaching, though a minister, a man, a sinful man, stands on the pulpit and proclaims the Word of God and proclaims it with his own voice and using his own words, it is Christ that speaks, not me. It is Christ speaking. So also in the sacrament, we say that's not bread and that's not wine. They're only physical representations of something else. And what I had was not just bread and wine. I didn't even partake of a sign of Christ's blood and body. But I had the very body and blood of Christ. And I watched the very blood of Christ over the head of a child. Or I know the blood of Christ washed over my head once in my life. There are means of faith, therefore, in that sense. Preaching has the power, the extraordinary power, to actually work faith. That's something we forget. And something we may not forget. Even though we believe that baptism being administered to infants is a sign that God is able to and often does regenerate the children of believers very early in their infancy, perhaps even in the womb, as was the case with John the Baptist. Nevertheless, in Romans 10, for example, we have the emphasis that faith comes by hearing. Faith is worked by hearing. The catechism is not ashamed and it puts in our own mouths to remember always the importance of preaching is that it actually works faith. And therefore, the sacraments have the power to actually confirm faith. And remember, the idea is that this is the one means appointed and used by God to do that. If you find your faith weak, if you find your faith lagging, if you find your faith doubting, if you find all kinds of those things which really aren't faith, they're signs of weak faith. They're signs that faith is playing a little role. That you're living by your own sight. You're living by your own physical ears. You're living by your own wisdom, not by faith. Then don't go hither, thither and yon. For that faith to be strengthened. For that faith to be encouraged. For that faith to be confirmed and lifted up. Go to the sacrament. Go first to the preaching of the Word. Perhaps maybe even ask yourself, why is not the the Word confirming? The idea is not that the Word doesn't do that, and only the sacrament does. But the Word does it first, and then the sacrament further does that. It more fully does that. That may be your focus. Sometimes I fear that this is why young people, young people can get into the trouble they get into or make bad decisions that perhaps could even ruin their lives, we might say. And you ask yourself, what's going on there? Well, one thing that perhaps is going on is, number one, they're not listening to the preaching of the Holy Gospel, so faith is not being worked in their heart. Perhaps they're spiritually absent in the worship service, though physically present. Perhaps they're not listening in catechism when that word is being preached. But another is a tendency to neglect the sacraments. To say to oneself, well, I'll make confession of faith when I feel like it. Or maybe I won't make it at all. Maybe I can live without the sacraments. That's foolishness, you know. Christ says to you, it's foolishness, young people if you're going to make big decisions in your life, like where you're going to go for secondary education, where you're going to get a job, whom I'm going to date, perhaps whom shall I marry, whom shall I make a vow never to leave or forsake. All these grand decisions that young people have to make that create anxiety, that create doubt, that create consternation, and understandably so. But how in the world can you make those decisions when you say to yourself, well, I don't need the sacrament to confirm my faith? I'll maybe think about making confession of faith and receiving the Lord's Supper sometime after all that. That's foolishness. It's utter foolishness. The extraordinary power of the sacrament to confirm faith is also limited to believers. That is, to those whom the Holy Spirit has given faith. There's two reasons for that. Ultimately, it's due to the ordination of God to appoint Christ as the head of the church and to save only some from the fallen human race to belong to Him, to give to faith. That's the ultimate explanation of why the sacrament benefits some and not all. And why the sacrament benefits only those who are given faith. But the other, of course, is that they must be given faith. The sacrament cannot confirm what one does not have and what one does not possess. They don't have the power to give faith, to work faith, to grant faith. That's reformed. That's why unbelievers cannot and may not participate in the sacrament, or have the sacrament administered to them. We may not and will not baptize the children of unbelievers, only the children of believers. And then the basis of that is God's promise to also save children. His promise was the promise to Abraham to save him and his children, his seed. Not all his physical seed, as Paul makes clear in the New Testament, but the spiritual ones, those given faith. Even his spiritual children that would come from the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. On the basis of that, that reality, we baptize the infants of believers, but not unbelievers. It may be done. But it's also why the elders must closely guard the Lord's table. And why they must bar from that table anyone who by their confession or by their walk shows themselves to be wicked. To show themselves to be unbelieving. That's what's being shown. It has nothing to do with whether they're elect or reprobate. It's what they reveal themselves to be. And elders, therefore, have a solemn calling to ban and bar such from the administration of the table. Kelvin once was told that he had administered the sacrament to the Libertines. They were antinomians. Calvin, knowing their wicked lives, said something to the effect that the elders or the, the city council would have to chop off his arms rather than administer the sacrament to the profane. That's not done simply to guard the sanctity of the table so that the holy doesn't become profane. That's not simply done to protect the congregation from a threat and a harm, but it's done because the extraordinary power of the sacrament is that when it's administered knowingly to an unbeliever and an unbeliever knowingly receives it, it has the power only to harden. It does not confirm faith. It hardens remember here, too, the connection of the sacrament to the preaching. Sometimes it's said of a person who is under discipline and been barred from the Lord's table that the one thing they need is to hear the preaching of the gospel. That's not necessarily true. What one must remember is that they've been barred from the Lord's table because they have refused to listen to the preaching. They have hardened their hearts to it. They will not listen to and obey the Lord's Word. And it shows in their life and in their confession. And their being barred from the Lord's table is a recognition of that fact. Now how? How will them simply listening to the Word some more undo what discipline is making plain? We need to remember that elders and members when we apply discipline. The order of and the purpose of preaching and the Lord's Supper. Lastly, we talk about the blessed administration, and here I must be brief. If all this is true, then the church must administer the sacraments without fail and will administer them until our Lord returns, and we must use them. Twice the catechism reminds us to use them. In 65, the Holy Ghost confirms faith by the use of the sacrament. And then in 66, the sacraments are pointed by God for this end, that by the use thereof they may fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. What does use them mean? Well, use them doesn't mean simply that you participate, that you're here, that you watch baptism being administered no more than it would be using the sacrament if you refuse to get baptized. You don't simply use the sacrament because you have a cup of wine in your hand and a bread that the elders hand out. To use them means to believe. To believe by faith in that which the sacraments are a sign and a seal. That's what it means to use them. Use them by believing that which they signify, that which they seal, namely, the righteousness which is by faith. It's to believe that I am righteous by faith alone, that I am righteous not by my works, not by my participation in the sacraments, but I am righteous by what Christ has done. Well, we should be more clear. I am righteous because of what Christ has done and by receiving that through faith. That's what it means to use them. The benefit, as I said, is that we then receive the very thing that faith believes them to be. That we receive the very sign and seal of the promise of God that's given through their administration. And we must see that that's a benefit that God has given in His grace and that we need exactly because Our faith can be, as we say, weak. One reason there is the warning that the Lord's Supper is not for the perfect and undefiled or those who show up self-righteously and say, I have no sin in my life, but remind us that God has given them exactly because we are sinners, exactly because we are prone to doubt. Even as we sit under the preaching of the Word and the preaching is... Is, is declared to us, and it comes us by hearing. God knows our faith can be so weak at times that we need that word brought in another form, as it were, visibly, so that we can see it with our eyes. We can we can taste it with our mouths. We can smell it with our noses. That's what's happening in the sacraments, and God thereby confirms our faith, strengthens it. So we use them because they are demonstrations. And actual means of grace. We use them when we use them thankfully. So that we come not doubting. And we partake not without faith. But also that we do not come unthankful. But rather come thankful. Thankful to our God for providing us these wonderful means of His grace. Thankful to God that He does not simply speak His Word, but He allows us to taste His Word and smell His Word and see it with our very own eyes. And that He has commanded through Christ that that be administered until the day that He returns. So use, beloved, the faith-confirming sacraments. Amen. Lord, our God, we thank Thee for Thy faithful Word, the Gospel promise and the promise that is not only what we believe through faith worked in the preaching of the gospel, but confirmed through the administration and use of the sacraments. So grant us, Lord, such faith and strengthen that faith by thy Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.